You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last My man standing. For I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. I'm the man. When I walk, the ground shakes. I am the master. I am the ruler of the world. You are now entering the vicious circle. Welcome back to the Vicious Circle. Now, anybody that listened to the podcast last week is going to know that uh, Sid and I sat and we talked a lot about coronavirus and uh, everything going on in the cities and states. And Well, right now, Sid is not available because he is off trying to get food. Uh, he has his grandson coming over and he, he has to make sure he's stocked. So he's got to drive all over the place to get what he needs. So he got a hold of me and said, we need a guest host to come in. And I thought no one better could fill the shoes of the master and ruler of the world than the best referee the WWF ever had. Danny Davis, how are you, buddy? World famous bad guy referee. How are you, Rob? I am doing great. Man, I've been looking forward to talking with you. Me too. You know, I'm so excited to do these things, these podcasts. It gets me out there to reach the fans and, and to make new friends such as yourself. And it's uh, the same here. As with Sid, I mean, my uh, stores, the shelves are empty, people are panicking, and, uh, you know, this is uh, something that I've never experienced in my whole life, and uh, to close down sports arenas and sporting events and and things like that, so I hope the fans understand that uh, you and I doing this is uh, uh, really uh, a good thing for them, as well as uh, all the uh, people that are panicking. I hope they settle down and and not worry so much about what's going to happen because we'll get through this as a, as a, as a, as a country. And, a, and a, uh, I think that everybody's going to be all right. Oh, absolutely. They've, they've had the pandemics before and people have come through. And it's, it's just a matter of, of persevering, taking care of yourself and looking out for every and like looking out for other people. All right. Well, moving on. Let's hey. move on here. Let's have a good time with this. And I hope that uh, everyone enjoys this podcast because I've been really looking forward to it. And uh, as I say, let's have some fun with it. So do you have any questions that you'd like to ask? Oh, Dangerous I... Danny Davis, the world-famous bad guy referee. Absolutely. Uh, the first one I want to find out because I've always been intrigued by Sid's origins. Like he was never a wrestling fan and he got into wrestling. And I, f- I just found out recently Tito Santana was the same way. He, they were never fans of the business beforehand until they got into it. So how did you start? Like, what made you decide to get into the wrestling business? Well, let me uh, say this. I uh, wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, and it, in the book, it explains how I got into wrestling and how I started and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, I would uh, just say that, not to give things away, but I would just say that uh, I went to a wrestling match as a young kid uh, uh, observed uh, guys like Chief J. Strongbow and uh, 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 oh, I can name a million of them right now, but you would ask Baron Sakluna, 
uh, and all those guys that were before me. And I was hooked the first time I went. In fact, I live in a town where there was a Friday night uh, wrestling event every Friday. And it's a very famous sports arena that used to be here. It's no longer here now. But that's where I started. My sister took me to a wrestling match. And after that, I was hooked. And uh, I knew that some way, someday, that I would be part of that business. And sure enough, uh, my dreams came true. And uh, the rest is history. So now, jumping into the actual, like, your, your iconic moment, you became that bad guy ref. That that gimmick has been used a lot, but when anybody thinks of a bad guy ref, your name is always the one brought up. How were you approached about doing that that story? Well, it's a funny thing. It wasn't anything that anybody uh, had an idea for. What happened was I was watching other referees, and I wanted to be stand out. I wanted to be different, so I started to call the matches right down the line, legitimately. I didn't favor the babyface or the heel. In fact, I would probably uh, side a little more with the heel. And people never saw that before. And they said, someone somewhere said, hey, you know, this this guy, Dangerous Dan, uh, Danny Davis, he's he's doing this with uh, quite legitimately. You know, we're, we're call, he's calling right down the line. He's not favor. And he says, no one's ever done that before. So they let me go. And then finally, once in a while, they'd come up to me and they'd say, look, just keep doing what you're doing, you know, and uh, we want you to do this with the baby face as opposed to the the, the heel, which was what they called them in them days. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you know, it's natural. You know, it's a natural thing for me. So we did that, and it just snowballed from there. It just kept going and going, and someone came up with the idea and said, we ought to do something with this, you know, this idea. And we'll use Danny to do it. And one day, uh, unbeknownst to me, and we were in Florida, and there was a tag match with the Bulldogs and, and the Hot Foundation, and they explained what they wanted to do, and it went from there. And <laughs> it was amazing because it was nothing that, you know, it, it was just, as I pointed out earlier, it's just a, it was a natural thing for me to do that. And it worked, and uh, we made history. We made a lot of history. And it was never done before. And, of course, as you pointed out, it's been done so many times again. But as you know, in the wrestling business, the first time is always the time that everybody's going to remember and that the person who does it is going to be remembered for it. And that's a good thing about the wrestling business. Oh, absolutely. They, they recognize innovation. Now, the, the one thing that I thought was very cool, too, and I didn't see it until I saw an interview that you did with someone, they mentioned the fact that when you became a wrestler, you started up with everybody hating you on the roster. You didn't have one bad guy or one baby face against you. You had all of them. Exactly. <laughs> they were, uh, well, they saw a good thing. And now in that, in them days, the idea was to make money and they saw dollar signs. You know, they saw a guy who came out and being cocky and, uh, stuff like that, and, you know, they wanted to work with me. They wanted to see if we could draw, you know, a crowd with me. And they were very, very helpful in the in the fact that, you know, I had very little experience as wrestling, in wrestling, as a wrestler, other than what I was taught. And, uh, again, I'm giving away most of the book, but I was everybody knows it anyway. I was Mr. X for many years before I was Dangerous Danny Davis. And uh, 
uh, Jay Strongbow, everybody knows who he was, took me under his wing and helped me to uh, become a wrestler. And uh, Rick McGraw, who everybody should know, but has passed, passed at a very young age, took me to the gym and, and used to take me to, him and I would go to uh, independent shows on weekends and we would work together and I would work as Mr. X and that's how I got my education in, in, in wrestling. So uh, <laughs> when these guys saw this opportunity, getting back to your question, to make a little money, they saw this angle and it went over so big that everybody was ready to work with me and that it was a, uh, some great, great moments, and I worked with some great, great people, and uh, and I owe a lot of thanks to them for my for being patient with me and uh, helping me along in that respect. That's awesome. Yeah, some of those names you mentioned are iconic. Like you said, Quick Draw, Rick McGraw. I remember him so vividly. Yes, he was a very, very talented uh, 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 wrestler. He was from the South, and uh, he worked his way up, and uh, he was. Uh, getting over a little bit as a tag with a tag team and I can't remember I, Steve something or I can't remember his, his his tag team partner but he did very well and again him and I just met one day made friends and we were like a friends that, and I'm sure it's happened to everyone that, that's listening you meet one person and you, right away you're friends and you, you're always friends you know you, you eat together you, you start hanging out together and, and that's what we did and he was very helpful again as they say with teaching me how to work out and uh, teaching me to wrestle. And and unfortunately, one day I got a phone call that he had had a heart attack and passed away, and I was, you know, heartbroken. But that's the wrestling business, you know, and I and that's something I would like to bring up while we're on the subject of people passing and stuff. I have always tried to instill in, in fans, when they see a convention and they see the Hot Foundation together or a, a tag team uh, couple together, at an event, they should make an effort to go there because you never know uh, when that one or both of those people are now going to be with us. You're absolutely right. It happened right. to us with Jim Nighthart, you know. And these these uh, conventions are very very important for the fans to get their autograph or get to meet them because, as I just pointed out, I hate to be repetitive, but I'm really uh, uh, want to express that we're getting older. And nothing we can do can prevent that. And things happen. And if you really uh, want to get an autograph or just meet a certain wrestler from my era, by all means, take the time, get out there, and do it. And, and number two, support them. And they do. And I've always said the, the, our fan base, uh, the fans are what make wrestling what it is today and what it was yesterday and what it will be in the future. And I want to send out a thank you for all the fans for putting up with me and uh, hating me all those years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're 100% right. Like the fans for wrestling, I find, are unique in the entertainment business. Because if Brad Pitt makes a movie, he doesn't have to talk to anybody and he knows people will go see it. Wrestlers know their career is based on fans and fans come out to see them. So I know they have a bigger connection than anybody else in the industry. Well, they get to be hands-on. They get to meet them. They get to shake hands with them. And most of, most of the guys uh, will take the time, especially at the conventions, to really talk to them, find out about them. They can ask personal questions and, uh, you know, really get to know these, these wrestlers. They're, and they, won't, they can do 
they can be in character or they can be out of character. And uh, most of the time, fans come back to me and say, man, I didn't know that about you. You know, I thought you were this. I thought you were that. You're, you know, you're not a bad, you know. And thank you for taking the time with me. And, and, and we appreciate it as well because we like to get to know our fans. Uh, and uh, because it's important to us. You know, uh, when I first started wrestling, um, uh, Jay Strongbow, I'll give you the name. He came up to me and he said he, he used to have a nickname for me which we won't say right now, but <laughs> he'd say, listen, I want you to remember something and you will take this with you throughout your career. And this is when I first got the break. And he said, those fans out there are the people who pay your bills, feed your family and take care of you financially. He said, when you go out there, if there's 10 people in that audience or 10,000 people in that audience, I want you to remember that you give 100% every night for those people. And that never left my mind. And no matter where I went and what I did, the last thing I remember before going out to that ring was what he told me. And I always tried to give 100% for the fans. And they've always given me 100% back. And that's called uh, respect in both both directions. And I, I, I just, that, those words uh, really paid off for me in my, in my career. Oh, absolutely. And you can see it when you, like, I, I did a little bit of uh, watching before we talked. I watched a match with you and Coco Beware. And watching that, I fell back into it. I remember watching it when it was live, or like on TV. And even then, you can see the, the effort you guys are putting into that show for the people in that arena. You're not, you're not playing Isn't to the television. Isn't that amazing how that can come back? You know, I watch old matches on YouTube and stuff like that, and I find myself... Uh, so into it, you know, into those matches because I know what they're doing. I know, you know, how hard they're working and stuff like that. And my people around me will say, you're, you're moving your arms, you're, you're moving in the chair, you know, you're taking your way. And it's, and it's something that it, it's a throwback to when, in my opinion, wrestling was wrestling. Yes. Uh, the, the days the 80s and 90s, and those were the wrestling days. Those were the golden age of wrestling, in my opinion. There'll never be another time like that. And again, I am so proud and happy to be to know that in my lifetime I was part of something that great and that big. And you, and you know who I have to you have to thank for that, right? And that's the Hulkster, because without him, brother, I don't know if it would have gone in the same direction as big. You know but who knows. I, I have often wondered that because, yeah, I think it definitely would have been big, okay? But it was that push that really sent it into the spotlight. And when he left, my friend, the WWF, at that time it was WWF, I looked at the person standing next to me and I said, it's all over. It's on its way. It's all over. When he left WWF, I knew it was the end of an era. I could feel it. Everybody there could feel it. It was like a cold wind came through the, and it, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was just phenomenal that we knew, and it has been. It's been struggling ever since because they don't have that icon. They don't have that one uh, gem, as it would be, or that one crown jewel that would bring everybody to their feet. Yeah. When, you know what I'm saying? I, I guess I, I'm trying to be as descriptive as I can be, but it's just something that you had to be there when it happened and you knew 
You knew I was there the night he won the title from the Sheik in Madison Square Garden, and everybody knew. Everybody knew that something great was supposed to just happen. Something big is, is really going to happen. And I was there when he uh, gave his notice, and, and uh, they came and told me that this is, you know, the end of it for him. He's going to go leave. And again, as I said, we all knew right then and there. Oh, well, at the end of that, you know. And so I, I think you're right. Because, uh, there was another like a, a resurgence almost um, during the uh, the 90s where they had the... F- oh, I'm not taking away from anybody else, Brett. Brett Hart, when he had... No, no, I'm not taking away from everybody else. No, no, no. They no. kept the ball rolling. They had, you know, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, everybody that... You know, but you could see... I, I don't know if I'm explaining it right. It was just something bigger than... The, you know, in the wrestling business, it was just something that uh, you knew you were in awe of. Even at the you know the, the boys and stuff like that, we knew uh, that we everybody wanted to be on Hulk Scott. Everybody wanted to be around the Hulk. Everybody was you know wanted to be in the WWF. Everybody wanted to come here, you know, because the money was here. And the reason for that was, as I said, you know that that Hulk Hogan, you know, yeah, no, an image that that. I do know what you mean, though. Like I said, I was going to say, they had that resurgence in the 90s where they had the fighting WCW, WWE. But that period during the 80s with wrestling, it's it's like watching Michael Jackson do the moonwalk on stage for the very, very first time. It's iconic. It's it's the yes, spotlight. Yes, it'll never be repeated. Yes. It's it, something that just, yes, that's my point. Yeah. Well put. I'm glad you put it that way. Yes. So, it'll yeah. never be anything like it again. Exactly. That's the bad part. And that's what I mean. Like they had the resurgence, but it was just that moment over again. Yes. So and trying to, and again, when people repeat uh, the Danny Davis angle and uh, somebody else's angle, a referee angle, it's not going to work the same. You know, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Because it, 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 it wasn't done on such a, it can't be done on such a grand scale. That it will, you know, it would, and it was never done before. And that's what the key is. It was never done before, well, and it worked. And I think the one factor that you had that nobody will ever have again is kayfabe. That is a big, big thing, you know. But you know, you said it earlier. Fans are fans. A wrestling fan is oh, a wrestling yeah. fan, and they know the ins and outs of wrestling now. They know what's going on. But you know something? There's still a fan base for wrestling. Oh God, yeah. And the fans are great. They're still the greatest. I mean, they they still when they come to me, they don't ever mention that, you know, uh, what they've learned about the wrestling business. They always show respect, and the reason they respect me is because now they understand that what we do or what we did out there for them, as a as a, a, a wrestler, we gave a hundred percent, and now they're realizing the things we did. The things that we we created, and we're going back to the '80s again. It was again, as you pointed out, iconic, and that still today still grabs these these wrestling people and want to be they want to be fans. Yeah, hoping uh, for that for that one uh, moment that they can remember. And these people, they remember. They do not forget. These people come to me, and of course, they're all the people. They say, "Man." We hated you, and then there's people that come to me and shake my hand, and and they say, you know something, I want to say something to you. My grandfather, my father, and myself and my brothers used to sit and watch you guys on Saturday morning, and we made it a a, 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 
a priority to be there every Saturday morning as a family and watch wrestling. Whatever time it was on, we were there watching you. And I just want to say to you that my grandfather, my father are gone, is gone now, but I want to thank you for those moments of, of mem- to remember you know, my grandfather and my grandma and whoever was there. But, and I want to thank you for that. You know, and that's quite a, quite a compliment to me. Well, you see, you're 100% right. I, I messaged a buddy of mine when we first spoke because of uh, possible projects. And when, uh, when he responded to me, I said, yeah, it's, it's dangerous Danny Davis. He goes, man, I hated that guy. You know, <laughs> that was the first thing he said. And yeah. because that character and I, I, is I, huge. My response to that is that I did my job and I'm glad you hated me. Yes. <laughs> But you are right to just to get back a little bit. The fans, the fans yeah. know what they want, and they will believe. Sid and I have talked over and over again about the death of kayfabe and did it affect things. And he goes, "No, because people will believe what they want." You know, he has fought with people in the back, like coming out of a show, and they would come up to him and go, "Sid, wrestling's fake." He goes, "Yep, you're right." He goes, "Yeah, but there was that one time in Memphis." He goes, "No, it's fake. You just told me." He goes, "No, but that one time you really hit him." And he's like, exactly. Yes. Well, po- good point. Yes. Yeah. So people want yes. to believe and they will. Yes. Yes. That's, that, that, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes. That's what they'll say. Is wrestling. And you say, yeah, well, you know, it is, you know, it is Corey, you know, work and work. We call it a work. And they say, yeah, but what about the time? And yeah, what about the time? <laughs> and what about the time you did this? Yes. You know, so. Yes, they want to believe, and, and that's the key to... And it's the same thing with uh, uh, the actors and stuff like that. People want to believe in, in, in Superman. They want to believe in, in uh, Batman. They want to believe that there's a super power out there that, you know, and they really get into it, and that's what grabs them, you know? Exactly. And that may even go back to the wrestling business, you know, because if you watch movies, it's always heel, baby face, the heel goes, you know, the baby face always wins, you know? <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's been since the westerns, cowboys and Indians. The, the good guy always wins, you know. You hear the, you hear the, uh, the cavalry coming, that, 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 you know. <laughs> so it's always been that way. So like, they've been programmed to to want to believe, and it's good. And I'm glad that people enjoy it so much, even today. And that's just where I think your your gimmick then worked so much better than it ever will now is because people are now watching it like a movie, but they, they suspend that disbelief and they enjoy the show. And But back then, like I said, that was still that time when this is real. You know, like I remember watching it going, this is a real ref and he is really doing bad things. So, it, you know, people back then, and, and let me tell you something, the guys back then, the boys, the people that were wrestling back then, were amazing. When I first started in this business, you know, they were they were, these guys. When I first saw them, as you asked me how I got into it, when I first saw these guys, as big as they were, they were grown men, six foot, you know, or bigger. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, Kowalski, Haystacks, uh, uh, Calhoun, the Sheik. They were bigger than life, and they were grown men, and they were doing these things in the ring that I said, holy crap, you know, the Freddie Blassies, you know, all these guys were huge men. And they, the Baron Sakuna, uh, King Curtis, uh, George Steele, uh, you know, G- Gorilla Monsoon, you know, Don Leo Johnson. Do you, do you remember these guys, how big they were? Oh, yes. They were huge men. They were great big men. And I said, "Where are these people from? They're, you know, they're giants, and they're in there, and they're actually taking bumps, 
as we say, taking slams, jumping off the top rope, getting thrown over the top rope. And it was amazing. And I think that may be a little bit of what is missing today in the wrestling business. That the fact that these people today are as big as, like Hogan, you know, bigger than life. And yeah. uh, that may be a factor in this, in this uh, business too. So again, like you say, it was easy to believe back then because of the size of these guys and how they did it and the kayfabe. Yes. But yeah, you're, like so I said, your character will always be iconic for that. Always. Exactly. And, and, and again, it was, it was such an honor and a pleasure, you know, a dream, you know, you dream that you're ever, you're going to do it. You're going to be in the business. So you get in the business, you think, wow, I, I achieved the dream. And then someone comes to you and say, look, we're going to do a little something with you. And then something else happens. You say, wow, this is really, and then to go to the greatest stage of all time, WrestleMania three and be part of that. And then go get a win there at WrestleMania three, the biggest crowd. I don't know if it's ever been surpassed, but I'll never forget it. And uh, how can you top that? And, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, uh, he once came to me, Jim Neidhart, and we, had, we used to hang out and we used to talk. And he said, Danny, I want you to remember something. He said, what we did in, those, in them, that time in wrestling, no one could ever take away from us. We achieved something that no one in, in, in history has ever done before. And no one, don't let anybody ever tell you or take that away from you. And I always remember him saying that to me. And it was one of the last things he said to me. And it was a, and it was a fact. And I think about that every day. And I think about Jim Neidhart. And I'm sure that uh, somewhere up there, they got a hell of a card. <laughs> oh, no doubt. You know they do. Yes. yes. Well, we've... I can hear... Go ahead. I was just going to say, we've talked a bit about your history, but your book tells everything and and how can people get your book what's your book called the book the book is called mr x the true story of dangerous danny davis and in order to get that book um you go to dangerous danny davis.com uh and there's a website there and you go to the uh ordering part of it order the book and i send them out myself personally and i sign them personally Oh, wicked! And uh, I'd also like to get some Canadian, some fans to like me on Facebook at Dangerous Danny Davis, and uh, so we can communicate because uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than to communicate with with fans, and that's the way I like to communicate. Uh, so, DangerousDannyDavis.com for the book, and that book is an inspirational book, and I have it's been out for two years, and I've sold so many copies of it. And I have never, not one time, have I had anyone say anything negative about that book. I have had people come up to me and actually hug me and say that book was so interesting. It was so inspirational. I, I read it twice. I let my kids read it. And it's something that everybody should read. So having said that, I hope that people will order it. And again, I will send it out and sign it personally. And... Uh, Please like me on Facebook at Dangerous Danny Davis. And the website for the book, again, DangerousDannyDavis.com. That's awesome. Danny, thanks so much for, uh, for sitting in for Sid today. Um, I... Oh, please, please. It's an honor. And you give him a, one thing you got to do for me is give him a big hug. I will definitely. And tell him I said thank you. Yeah, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to step back real fast and then tell him it's from you. <laughs> That's what I'll do with <laughs> <Yes>. Sid. <laughs> 
Watch the left. He's left-handed. That's right. <laughs> but I know we're definitely going to get you back on the show, too. Oh, please. Give him my best, and it's been a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. Awesome. All right. Time for our question. And for this week's question, we have Pete from Blenheim, Ontario, Canada. Pete, what question have you got for us? Hey, Danny, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Pete? Great, You're going to talk to the world-famous bad guy referee, are you? Well, go ahead. Okay. What's your question? Sure. When when you first when they first started you out as a ref, was it already pre-planned for you to transition into a wrestler? No, not at all. Not at all. As I suppose we talked earlier, Rob and I, uh, no, it wasn't uh, in the works. There was no plan in doing it. As I said, I was a different referee than most most of them. I called it down the middle, I, and uh, a lot of the referees didn't like the fact they always wanted to be the baby face. They wanted the fans to like them. I just mm-hmm. called the match as it was, as I saw it. I didn't favor either one, but then they uh, did ask me to start favoring the uh, heels a little more, which I did. And I didn't feel uncomfortable about it. You know, I got a lot of booze and stuff like that. And I don't know how it came about, but somebody somewhere uh, saw that and said, hey, we ought to do something about this, with this. And they came up with a concept, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, no one approached me about it. It took place when I switched the tag belts with the um, Hot Foundation with the Bulldogs in Florida. And after that, uh, we were on the way. And everything else was just, there was no pre-planned. There was no talking about it. There was no meetings about it. I'm sure there were meetings between the uh, people who came up with the concept, but uh, I had no no idea about it. I'm just going to follow right. up a little so, bit on that, because that's how you got yeah. together with the Hart Foundation, isn't it? They were the ones that got you to the yeah, training. Yeah, Jimmy Hart picked me up uh, with uh, right after the match. And the next segment, of course, it was... Uh, following week for everybody else but we did uh like three or four different hours of of uh wrestling to be you know broadcast that three or four weeks in advance we used to do them so i came back out as dangerous danny davis i had an outfit and all that stuff yeah excellent thanks so much Pete. that's how it developed thanks so much you've been listening to the vicious circle podcast your host sid udi co-host j robert bellamy Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.